we're kicking on in our, what I think is our, our sixth look at uh, this book of, well, book that, letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And we've called this series The Prodigal Church because what we're looking at here is a church that has fallen out of favor with God and with each other. It's a church that has really taken everything that God has given it and twisted it in such a way that it becomes to their advantage rather than to God's advantage, which is exactly the opposite, opposite spirit of what it is that God wants from his people. And yet, strangely enough, as I've said before, uh, Paul still refers to these folks as saints. Saints. Uh, and yet, when we look at the scriptures, we find that they are anything but saints. Uh, it's a little bit like uh, a parent looking at their naughty child saying, come here, my loved, beloved little child. And there's a sort of uh, white knuckle tension in the room. Um, but Paul, for all of his... Uh, um, his ability as an apostle and a prophet, he takes on a fatherly role where he addresses these folks like children with a firm hand, but in a loving way. So this morning, as we move into chapter three, I'm, I'm calling this talk Arrested Development. Nothing to do with the sitcom, um, but everything to do with the way in which these folks have been conducting their, themselves, their behavior. You see, arrested development is a technical term that describes either a physical um, slowdown when someone's expected to grow in a certain way and they get to a point where their body stops to grow. Their, their, their development has been arrested for some reason, a medical condition. Could be an emotional challenge as well, where somebody has had a trauma or something has affected their life, where they are emotionally now locked into a certain age group uh, and haven't developed fully into that uh, adulthood in respect to how they conduct themselves around other people. Um, of course, there's spiritual immaturity as well, which is essentially what we're talking about today. You see, it's very easy to stop growing as a Christian. You think that if you have five memory verses and you can recite those when needed and uh, pray with uh, some gravitas and some integrity, you sound like you've got everything together, um, you can cover all bases and therefore you've got everybody fooled except God. You see, it's very easy to fog out in your Christian faith, and it could be at an early age, it could be at a later age. But what Paul is saying to these folks is that this arrested development is not a place where you want to end up. And he is very confrontational, and we're going to have a look at that today. Very confrontational. And it becomes the tone, if you like, of this letter, because Paul increases this level of confrontation, just keeps raising the bar again and again and again. But to look back at chapter 2, and to take one verse as a summary verse that helps us understand this next chapter is really important. So let's just remind ourselves of what Paul is saying to this group of people. He says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's a beautiful verse that summarizes what Paul is saying about the activity of the Holy Spirit within the community and within an individual's life. We haven't been given the spirit of the world, but we've been given the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And this tracks directly back to that last evening that Jesus had with his disciples before he was betrayed, sent to trial, crucified, resurrected. And that is when he promised that the Holy Spirit would come and reveal all truth to those who are seeking him, as well as bring back to mind the words that he himself had said to his disciples. So we've got this direct link here through Paul back to Jesus' original intention that we would have a relationship with God through the Spirit, confirmed by the Word, the Scriptures. But without the Spirit's activity in the church, 
that church, that church of Jesus, would just be a footnote in history. It would just be a bunch of good ideas set about by a nice fellow who happened to die, Jesus. And we may have, if we were lucky, some, some ancient wisdom recorded in a book we call the Bible, but we wouldn't have the church because the Holy Spirit is God who is active in our midst. He's the one who is calling you, calling me, challenging you, challenging me, uh, bringing us to new revelation, challenging us to lay our lives down, to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. So without the Holy Spirit alive and active in your life and mine, the church would have perished over a thousand or 2,000 years ago. We just wouldn't have made it even to the point uh, where we're at, where this letter was written. So Moving on from here, Paul comes into what we call chapter 3. Of course, there weren't chapters in the day when he originally wrote it. We call it chapter 3. And uh, verse 1, Paul says this to the church. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Okay, okay. Here's a little bit of truth. Here's a little bit of honesty. Here's a little bit of what you don't want to hear. Okay, And the truth is that we don't want to hear truth. Often truth is so confronting that we don't want it to confront us. It's a little bit like getting on the bathroom scales after Christmas and New Year. You know, it doesn't matter how much you pull your tummy in, the scales don't move, do they? Okay, I don't believe me, I've tried all of these things and it makes no difference. You know, you go and get a different pair of scales because those ones clearly must be wrong. Okay, or you hadn't had a shave that day. It makes all the difference. So the truth is the truth. And here Paul is saying, you guys think you're something, but you're not. You think you're spiritual, but you're worldly. Okay, and I've got to tell you this truth because if I didn't tell you this truth, then I wouldn't be a good father. I wouldn't be a good leader. I wouldn't be a good apostle. And so for Paul, he's reminding them that they have got a long way to go. Now, we all start from somewhere, don't we? Every one of us starts from somewhere, every journey we've got. You know, when we learn to drive, we've got to learn what the clutch and the accelerator and the brake is, and we learn to drive. When we learn to walk, we learn to put one foot in front of the other. And so it is when we start out as a child. Now, a baby who behaves like a baby is a pleasure. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's a sign of health, okay? But an adult who behaves like a baby is a tragedy, <laughs> truly. You know, you don't want to see a 37-year-old male having a tantrum, Okay, but yet that's what happens. And so Paul is saying, look, it's okay to start somewhere as a child. We've all got to start somewhere, but we've got to grow up. And let me put this in the right possible way and interpret this uh, with the best of intention when I say this. Paul is saying, for God's sake, grow up. For the sake of God, grow up. Otherwise, your witness to God is not going to actually represent who he is. And we, the church, need to grow and be in a place where we can accept the challenge, the confrontation that grows us up. Okay, so let's have a look at um, how this, these verses unfold after this challenge where Paul tells them that they're worldly. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? 
What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, throughout this uh, early part of this letter, Paul, now for the fourth time, has mentioned Apollos, Peter, and himself, Paul. Or Apollos, Cephas, Cephas and Peter, the same person. And what he's saying is that you guys are besotted with uh, human leadership. And you've, you've organized yourself in such a way that you've created clans or tribes around these specific leaders. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Paul is one of those leaders. So what Paul is doing is he's attempting to right-size leaders. And to do so, he essentially denounces his own fan club. Because Paul's got a fan club. And what he's saying is, I'm going to um, deregister you all off my Twitter account. Okay? Because you're all my fans, but I don't want you being my fans. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about Apollos. It's about Jesus. It's not about Cephas. It's about Jesus. And so for Paul, this um, temptation to believe that uh, he's bigger than he is, he's putting it to one side. He's saying, I'm not who you think I am. I'm simply a servant. A servant who is pointing the way towards Jesus. Now, one of the interesting things about the culture, of course, is that um, the culture was built around these hero figures. Like today, you might say to somebody, hey, come around to my place and we'll do a Netflix binge on something, right? We'll stay up till some horrible hour in the morning and then we'll walk around like a drongo for the rest of the weekend, but we will enjoy this together, okay? But in the day, what would happen is philosophers and scholars were invited to a person's home as their guest. And this person who may have a great reputation as being someone who's very wise, a great speaker, a wonderful um, guest, you would invite them into your home and then you would invite your friends. Okay? And so it was you inviting your friends to listen to this person speak. And what was going on then is that that person who brought quality to your house, um, they gave you some reflected glory, all right? It's like my house, my food, my friends, my guests, okay? And you're standing there as the host getting all this reflected glory. Now, the reason why there was jealousy and quarreling going on is because essentially this same problem was occurring within Christendom. The likes of Apollos and the likes of Paul and the likes of Peter were being invited to homes to speak about the gospel, but it was causing tension, it was causing quarreling, it was causing jealousy. Now, the interesting thing about these two things, jealousy and quarreling, is that one's internal, that's jealousy, and the other one is the manifestation of that jealousy, which causes quarreling. You don't get a fight unless something's going wrong in here, first of all, yeah? And so this is essentially what Paul is describing, is saying, look, you folks have got it all wrong. You're allowing the culture to permeate the church. And by allowing the culture to permeate the church, you're no longer the church. In fact, you're, you're children. You're spiritual babies. And he's saying to them, this is, this is wrong, and this is something that we need to ensure it stops right here. And Paul's prepared to denounce his own fan club to get that right. He's even saying, look, you guys might be looking to me. I'm not the one you look to. Okay, putting that, putting that out there, putting it right. And so for Paul, um, 
He's saying, look, even as a leader, I have to right-size myself, which I think is really big what's going on here. Um, some friend, a friend of our daughter's uh, in Australia was working for a large church in Australia, I won't even name the city, but she was involved with their social media programming. And her responsibility was to create content, media content that went up online on their website and other websites that made the senior pastor of her church look good. That was the whole reason she was employed for at least two days a week. Even to the point where she would write stuff and quote other people's names underneath it. The name was totally made up. But the reason why he allowed this to happen as the pastor is he said, well, basically, that's what people think of me, so I'm just creating generic content that allows people to affirm what it is that I've already been told about myself. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know? Uh, this is the sort of stuff where it's very easy to build your own empire and to believe your own PR machine as being an accurate reflection of who you are. But the simple truth is this. Here's the truth of it. The pulpit, this space here, is a very powerful position. It's a very persuasive position. And if you start using it to your own advantage, it becomes uh, the death of the church. Uh, but it can also become a weapon that can be used against the other churches around you or other people. Because people start to believe that you have more than you are. Look, if you really want to know who I am, go and sit with my wife. You know, and she'll, she'll tell you. You know, in fact, she should charge 10 bucks for every problem that I have and she'll make plenty of money. But, um, you know, the person that I am here in this moment is a product of God's word calling on my life, the Holy Spirit, and the affirmation that you give me. And so it's this, this potent mix here that if I'm not um, working that through before God, then I can easily get in trouble and really believe that I'm something I'm not. You know, I don't talk like I'm talking now at home. I don't. I don't say to my wife, hey, darling, um, would you like uh, eggs for breakfast this morning? Um, would you like them? Let me give you uh, four options. You know, da, 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 da. Did you know, Michaela, that... Um, in the Bible, Jesus only talks about eggs once. This is, um, yeah, 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 it's only, you know, Jesus said in prayer, uh, uh, God said, you know, uh, Jesus said, if you ask for a, an egg, will God give you a stone? You know, meditate upon that, honey, while I cook the toast, you know. And, uh, and, and chickens, Jesus only mentions chickens once. And when he looked upon Jerusalem and he said, oh, you know, I must gather Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem under my wings like a, like a hen gathers her chicks. You know, and so, honey, we've got a choice here as to what it is that you'd like. If you'd like to come forward now and make your choice, I'll pray for you. <laughs> that is not the life in my household, yeah? All right? That's not the life in my household. Okay? Our household's pretty chilled out. What's going on here is Paul is saying uh, to, the, to the, uh, the folk in the church and the leaders that there are three things that you need to be involved with Christian leadership. And here they are. Character, character, character. And um, this is where spiritual formation comes in. We know what happens when character fails. It's happened in a mighty way down in Parliament this last week. Yeah. Two, two guys are now looking for new jobs. Okay, why? Because character. You see, the thing is that if you don't have character equal to the responsibility that you've got. It's, it's like a huge tower that's been built on two little bricks. 
you know, the first wind that comes along, it just tips over. And so it is within the Christian life. And that's why Paul is saying, you folks haven't reached the, that goal of, of spiritual maturity yet. Because if you were invited to do more than what you're doing now, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, I remember around about 25 years ago, um, maybe a little bit longer, before I went off to Baptist College, there was quite a scene going on in New Zealand with respect to a group called the School of the Prophets or something similar to that. And so these folks were saying that, um, that, that in the Old Testament, this is true, there were schools that were set up which allowed people to go and learn how to prophesy, how to be able to bring God's word to a community or to a given setting. And uh, I, I was a little bit nervous about this, but Michaela and I were leading a life group, a home group at the time. And a couple of likely lads from our home group signed up for this. They said, hey, we're going to go off and uh, become part of this school of the prophets. So you go away for a weekend and off you go. Well, I looked at them and I thought, these guys are the last people that you want to be heading off to learn how to become the oracle of God. You know, they used to drag themselves in the church after being at the nightclub on Saturday night. You know, and they weren't in any position. They could barely lie straight in bed, never alone give a word from the Lord. Yeah? And sure enough, they wander off to this learn how to prophesy school, and they were a nightmare. Because they firmly believed that everything they said from there on in was God's word for us. It, it clearly wasn't. You see, the thing about an Old Testament school of the prophets is that these people had spent decades in a process of sanctification, literally learning the scriptures from cover to cover off by heart. They were deeply invested in this. Okay, And so when they would go off and uh, get together to, to hear the voice of the Lord together, it was a holy and sacred occasion, not just a long weekend that you paid for 20 bucks and got a free hamburger at the end. You see? And, and, and the responsibility that was upon them was enormous to the point in the Old Testament days is that if you prophesied and you got it wrong, guess what happens? You got stoned to death. Okay, so that would keep your tongue in place, wouldn't it? Now, I, I'd only wish that I'd had that opportunity when these guys came back from the weekend. Okay? This, you know, seriously. Seriously. So... All that to say, character is what Paul is looking for. Character that allows spirituality to be wrapped up and born in the same, in the same process. Uh, I'm not knocking prophecy or anything like that. I'm just saying you can't just go away and become a prophet like you go through the drive-in at McDonald's and get a hamburger. Yeah. What Paul is saying here, though, is really important. You see, he's saying that leaders need to quash division. By virtue of denouncing his own fan club, what Paul is saying is that um, it's not about me. Now, we live in a world today where we've got access to a huge amount of information, and we're very, very blessed. The amount of information that there is around uh, on the media in respect to Christian education and the like is just great. And many of us will have our favorite preachers and our favorite podcasts, etc., etc. And I encourage you to tap into those. But uh, those are also an opportunity for division um, because it's very easy for a, a group of folks to wrap themselves around their favorite preacher of the day and think that this is, this is the only person who's got anything to say. I had an occasion about 10 years ago 
And it was one of those moments when, you know when someone says something to you and then they wander off and two minutes later you go, oh, wish I'd said that. Yeah, you've had that, eh? Of course. Well, I had one of those moments when I actually said that. What happened was this. I was standing in that door over there where Bernie is at the moment. This guy walks in, elderly guy, and he goes, wow, Craig, he said, I was watching TV this morning and he said, I was watching this person. He told me who it was and he said, man, you've got, they've got nothing. Uh, you've got nothing, he said. You've got nothing on them. They are way ahead of you, Craig. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was a competition. But uh, I looked at him and I said, hey, um, there's one problem with this. And he goes, what's that? And I said, I said, I know your name and he doesn't. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, the other thing is, you're way older than me. I'm probably going to take your funeral. He won't. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) He was nice to me after that. Not after he died, but after that. Yeah. But I was nice to him also. You just had these little moments, but that was one of those ones when you just go, oh, God. Thank you for allowing me to win. (laughs) But even as folks who are part of a church family, you need to make sure that you're not dividing the church family by saying, I follow Apollos, where somebody else says, I follow Cephas, and then allowing their different theologies or doctrines to clash. That's not what it's about. You know, the church is bigger than that. And I think um, Paul would affirm that because we hear him saying these words. He says, what after, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul is quite, quite deliberately using an agricultural uh, illustration here. And we, all, we can all identify with that, can't we? If somebody plants the seed and somebody waters it, well, they're both partnering with what essentially God is doing. And this is the important thing. God grows plants. We don't grow plants. Okay. And uh, I even know, you know my folks uh, still got a kiwifruit orchard. I was raised on a kiwifruit orchard. And when you graft a, uh, a, the fruit bud onto a, a kiwifruit uh, rootstock, the idea is that you get the cambium layers to tie up together, which allows for that magic to happen where the plant then becomes a fruit-bearing plant. So you can do the cutting, you can do the taping, tie that together, but it's God who gives the increase. Yeah? Even doctors will tell you that they don't heal people in as much as they might take a broken bone, it's shattered and they can rearrange the bits back together, but it's actually the body that heals itself. But they set it up so that it can do that. So we know we have a limited role, but a powerful role in co-working with Christ. And that's what our reward is, is to be a part of what God is doing. And so therefore, our role in partnership with this is to simply say, by the grace God has given me. And we've seen that this morning with Peter. By the grace God has given Peter, he's now in a position of influence as the chairman of the Fonterra board. 
Last week, we heard from Stu Nightingale. By the grace God has given him, he's the area commander for the Eastern Bay of Plenty policing team. We heard that week before, Marcus Norrish. By the grace God has given me, I'm a principal at a school. And it goes on. We've all been given this grace, and we need to find out where and how we fit into the body of Christ. And we get to affirm what it is that God is doing in us and through us. And Paul is saying about all of these leaders, the Apollos and the Cephas of this world, that they are there by the grace of God. And so Paul says, by, this, by, the, grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that um, he was the first person into Corinth. He was like the first builder on site. And what he did was he laid a foundation. Talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected, coming again in glory. Okay, that is the foundation of the church. That's the foundation of faith and belief. Paul says you can't lay a foundation other than that and call it the church. Now, throughout the centuries, um, the early church fathers recognized how important this foundation actually is. And so in the fourth century, um, 397 to be exact, in the town of Milan in Italy, the church fathers got together and they produced a document that we now know as the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed has been foundational for Christendom ever since this period of time. Now, what I'll re we'll read it and then we'll come back and um, have a look at it in a bit more detail. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Uh, the reference to Catholic Church there is not the Roman Catholic Church, but it's the Catholic Church. The word means Catholic means universal. Okay, so essentially it's the church as a whole. But this document is foundational for every church in the world that is considered to be orthodox. If you can't hold on to this church, orthodox as in um, standard doctrine, Bible believing, Jesus following. If you can't affirm the Apostles' Creed, essentially you're outside of what we recognize as being uh, the church and you'd be branded a heretic. Okay, So this covers uh, Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Reformed, uh, all the way through Pentecostal, the whole lot, pretty much uh, the whole church as we understand it today, by far the majority of the churches. And so this is the foundation stone that is being laid. This is the person of Jesus, and this is what we believe. But Paul is saying that if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul is talking here about judgment. He's talking about fire. And uh, because we're Baptists and we don't have gold, silver, and precious jewels, I've got a lump of concrete, okay, and some wood. So we stick these things in the fire. One's going to burn up and the other one will survive. In the reference that Paul has, he talks about gold, silver, and precious jewels as the things that can go through the fire and still survive. What Paul is describing to us is the work that we all bring as service to the Lord. Okay, what we bring and what we've done and what we've given and how we've spoken, everything that we have done in our lives will be tested and uh, it'll be tested by fire. And Paul's saying, if it survives, it's given to us as credit. If it doesn't survive, it'll be burned up like wood. But remembering, of course, that we're told that we will escape as one escaping the flames. So we're not working for our salvation here. This, these things that we do aren't earning our salvation. They are essentially what we do in response to being saved. And uh, we can do a whole lot of stuff and it's not going to be counted for us, but it doesn't mean that we're going to lose our salvation. Okay, so that's really important. So as we press on towards the end of this chapter, Paul wants to summarize what he thinks is really important for us to know about ourselves, about the church, about God. So he says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Now, this set of verses here has been misused in the past, particularly in relation to um, suicide. Because it says here, it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, it says, um, sorry, uh, you yourselves are God's temple. If anyone destroys that temple, then that person will be destroyed themselves. Uh, this is all out of context. Because the context here is that you, collectively, are God's temple. The Spirit dwells amongst you, the temple of God. If anyone seeks to destroy you, then they will be destroyed. Their work will be destroyed, and they will risk judgment, ultimately, by God. So we're being told here that we are the temple, and the Spirit dwells amongst us which is cool because we all get to share and we all get to celebrate what it is that each other brings to the life of the church and the world around us. Now, I just love the fact that there are so many different gifts. So many people have so many different things, different to what I do. You know, one of the things I celebrate? Accountants. I love accountants. I love how they can take a whole lot of stuff and make sense out of it in respect to business. Maths was not my strong point, okay? I went on to get a university degree, but I only got 90% for school C maths. 43 the first time and 47 the second time. <laughs> That's how it works, isn't it? You see, I love the body of Christ. I love how it works. I love how everybody brings what they bring. And, they, they, um, and they, they go on to serve and we celebrate what it is that each other brings. That's the beautiful thing about it. Paul goes on to say this. 
Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. You notice how people think they can keep getting away with stuff all the time? You know, that won't happen to me. That won't happen to me. And they get caught. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. The thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Now, there are three words in that final slide there that summarize what Paul is wanting to say. Three little words, and I'm going to show you what they are. Here they are. All are yours. Who's yours? Cephas is yours. Who's yours? Apollos is yours. Who's yours? Paul is yours. Not only that, but the present and the future and life and death, all of these are yours. So don't start pitching one of your favorite leaders against another leader and think that this is about a competition. These folks have been gifted to the body of Christ and they all belong to you. They're all there for your uh, strengthening, for your learning, for your maturity, for your encouragement. They're not about, it's not about a competition where one's put against the other. Paul is saying, take all of them and learn from all of them because they're all a gift from God for you to grow. Does that make sense? Does that sound a little bit of what Paul would do? Paul wouldn't be going, oh, by the way, um, listen, you know, we've got this argument going on about Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. Just thought I'd let you know that I'm the man. I'm the man. The other two, they're deadheads. They're redundant. Okay? I'm the man. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, we're in this together, and all are yours. All are yours. And so, as we finish this chapter today, we've got to keep searching our hearts and remind ourselves of how blessed we are to be part of the body of Christ. The body that is represented from Roman Catholicism through to Pentecostalism, the latest move of the Spirit, the last 120 years, uh, all the way through. And all these churches have a revelation from God, and God has sustained them. Now, some of the things that different churches do might be a little bit different to what it is that you might um, value. But in many respects, churches and the denominations um, do things differently, and they reflect different personality types as much as they reflect different doctrines. If somebody really likes loud music, they'll go to a different church. Someone who really likes quiet, meditative music, they'll go to a different church. Someone who really believes that the, the outworking of Jesus in the community is to minister to the needs of the poor, they will go and find a church that does that. Some who are saying overseas mission is the only expression of God's love, they'll go to a church that does that. And so let's not look at the church as being something that is against each other, but all are ours. This is something beautiful that God has created, and we are part of it. So, no quarreling, no jealousy, but we ended up with arrested development. Let's stand. Let me pray before, before we, think, we sing our final song. God, we thank you for how Paul puts things so precisely. 
by holding a mirror up in front of us, a mirror where we look in it and we go, oh gosh, there's a whole lot there that needs to change. And so, Father, we thank you for this because it's your gift to us. And as Paul confronted the Corinthians and said that they lacked maturity, Lord, we too are prepared to accept that our journey is one of growing and continuing to grow. So wherever we are today, Lord, we don't want to be fogged out. We don't want to be uh, just grinding down to a stop. We want to embrace what it is that you have for us. And may the work of your spirit in our lives be leading us forward, challenging us so that your grace will be upon us, that we can see how it is you're growing us, how you're moving us, how you're creating new opportunities for us to serve you. So Lord, we, we thank you for this because when the work of your spirit is happening in our lives, even at times it feels confronting. It's actually the gift that you have for us to bring about a greater a greater presence of your spirit in our lives and, and, and just to allow us to be more like Jesus. So God, we thank you for the gift and we thank you for the gift of each other. We thank you for the people who are in this room today. Such a variety of gifts and talents and experiences. And we thank you for that, Lord, because without each other, we, would, we wouldn't be able to stand. We wouldn't be able to be who we are. And so God, we, we look forward to these uh, coming weeks as Paul continues to raise the challenge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as he takes this group of people from immaturity to maturity. May we be on that journey as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.